you'll please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're continuing in our study, and today we come to just two little verses. And again, it's easy, I think, to read through, especially at the end or the beginning of the uh, the letters that we have from Paul and just go, oh, it's just a, a quick, easy thing. And and yet the reality is, is there's a lot to be said in these two verses. Um, and as you can see, we have five points today, so you're going to have to pay attention. Okay, so not your normal three, you've got five today. But um, the reality is, is the Thessalonians could have become really overwhelmed and discouraged um, because if you look at verse 22, right before it, it says um, very clearly uh, that we are to abstain from every form of evil. Now, they could become overwhelmed and discouraged because sometimes people strive to live out the Christian life on their own. Um, we, I was even talking to uh, Hugh Davis this morning, and, and the reality is, is, is Hugh's been a, a PCA pastor for a number of years. I would say I'm a PCA pastor, and yet our upbringing was lived out in such a way that we always felt like God was going to get us. Um, and we were raised kind of in that of, hey, if we step out of line, then God's going to get us, and he's going to put his thumb on us, and he's going to squash us. And uh, so there, there's a fearfulness a lot of times when we get to thinking that, oh, I've got to earn my uh, love from God. I've got to earn my salvation from him. And again, there's a lot of denominations out there that teach that, uh, that God's going to get you if you don't act the right way. And yet the reality is, is that Paul continues to talk to them after giving them that statement. He gives them a very pastoral prayer and counsel and how they are to live the life in the last days by the power of the Trinity. And so we're going to unpack that as we um, come to this passage this morning. So we're looking at verses 23 and 24. So hear the word of the Lord. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, we ask that you would make it alive to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, may you truly, truly take take this word, make it make deep roots into our hearts so that we might look more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we leave today than when we arrived. And Father, please show us your mercy and grace, fresh and new today. Once more, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, hey, oh. All right. You ready? There you go. Woo-hoo. All right. God is at work. So the first thing we see is that God is the author of our... I got it. I got it. Author of our... Okay. All right. I think I have it now. God. Okay. God is the author of our sanctification. Now, we understand that in regards to justification, where Christ gave his life on the cross, and he justified us before God. But the reality is, is God is still the author of our sanctification, how we are to live our lives to the purposes of God. 
And we knew, we know that because first the father is the producer of that. He is the one who orchestrates it. The son is the one who by his procurement on the cross then becomes the pattern for which we are to live. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who applies justification and then gives us the power to live the Christian life. So the author of the Trinity in our sanctification still works. He's transforming us, listen, from the inside out, not the outside in. And so the reality is, is we have to begin to ask and understand, um, how does this happen? Because it says in Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that seems to contradict what I just said, does it not? And this is where people get caught up. Again, if we go to just specific one verse, and we pull that out of context, then we get mixed up. Because the reality is, the very next verse talks about how God does it in us. See, it's the, re- it's the reality of God is sovereign. He's over us. He rules all things. All things work together for his glory and our good. But we're still responsible. We still have the ability to sin. Or if you're a Christian, to not sin and to sin. So there's a reality that we're still held accountable for how we live our life. But the thing is, is we don't do it just by ourselves because listen, the Trinity is more involved than we are in sanctification. He wants you to be holy as he is holy, more than we want to. But the reality is we still need to have a commitment to grow in our sanctification. And so we do that through the peace that he gives to us through Christ who died on the cross. And as Christ died on the cross, he mends our relationship so we can go back to him. And you don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through me. You get to go yourselves through Christ and have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so it's with that understanding that Paul then begins to say, here is the outcome of living that life. And the first thing he says is be sanctified. Now, to be sanctified here um, is telling you very simply, there's two things that happen. First of all, excuse me, there's separation from sin. So you have the separation from the pursuit of sin. Which means that we begin to abstain from doing evil. It begins to change our whole outlook on life. Because again, if if you're a non-Christian, all you know to do is live for yourself. You don't know any better. Okay, so I I just lived my life for myself when I was a teenager. I, I didn't care. It's all about me. And the society caters to that. And so what happens is when Christ comes in, he says, hey, the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be a separation from sin and the pursuit of it. So we understand that I need to abstain from the things that are wrong in my life, not to earn God's love, but because of God's love. And we also understand that there's a new enemy and there's attack. Satan wants you to become um, overwhelmed in life. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants you to look at this world and say, isn't this a horrible place? Do you really think God cares about you? Do you think God has anything to do with you? He doesn't. And yet the reality is God is showing to you all the time through his actions how he's involved with you every day, every moment. 
And so he's saying we need to separate ourselves from the things that, that are, we are to abstain from, but we need to be consecrated to the Lord. So we, we turn from our sin, but there has to be an understanding that we have to turn, and that's the whole point of repentance. We turn from our sin, but we turn back to Christ. And as we turn back to Christ, we stop finding ourselves in the pattern of the world of always trying to look out for number one. We, we stop looking at doing just Jesus part-time. He becomes our, the only thing that we can be satisfied in. And is that where Christ is for us? See, it, it doesn't just start in the New Testament. It's not just our consecration to the Lord, but he's a calling us to holiness. And if you remember a well-known passage in Isaiah 6, it's where Isaiah is in the presence of the Lord. Remember, and the seraphim are around the, the throne of God. And they're reaching out and he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then hear what God says. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. So, I mean, that's an overwhelming thing. I mean, if you think about that, I mean, he's in the presence of God. And God allows him to, he doesn't kill him, which is amazing in and of itself. He doesn't kill him when he sees the holiness of God before him. But he cleanses him, but he cleanses him with a coal. A coal that even the angels, the seraphim, have to take with tongs. And they place the coal on his lips and and think about that smoldering. The flesh that's being burned. And then God asks, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah, in the midst of that, after he's been cleansed with the thing, and after he's seen the glory of God, after he's heard the, the, the tremble of the words, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. He says, here I am, send me. See, that's what it means to be consecrated. Are we saying that same thing back to God? Just like Isaiah, here I am, God, send me. Don't listen to the lies of Satan. Don't listen to, you can't talk to people about this. Nobody wants to hear about this. For those who know my past, you would have said, this guy can't become a Christian. He can't. And we don't want him in God's camp. But there were still people who prayed for me. People who still came and said, Jeff, I, I want to speak to you. I want you to understand just how much God loves you. He can't love me. Do you know the things I've done? Jeff, yes, he he does. He loves you more than you can ever dream or imagine. And Jeff, all he says is, now come and tell everybody else just how great and merciful and mighty he is, just like he was with you. See, you are the missionaries. You are called to go out and to be the one to say, here I am, Lord, in my entirety, not part-time, but I give everything to you. And I know you're calling me to minister and be a part of people's lives. Here I am, send me. So the Thessalonians were doing that. They were going out and their 
their relationship with Paul and with Christ had so spread that Paul couldn't get ahead of the, the, the things that were being spread about the Thessalonians. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? If you went out there and go, hey, you know, I'm from Northside. Oh, I hear some great things about Northside. Oh, the people love Jesus there. They're not perfect. They're forgiven. But man, they love to tell people about the Savior. It's grace and mercy. And I don't have to clean myself up to come. I just get to come as I am. And Jesus does the work. So he says, be sanctified. The second thing he says is in your entirety. Now, again, this should make you question. Because there's a couple of things that come up for this. One is people who think that they can be perfect. And we'll deal with that in a little bit. But there's also an issue of trichotomy here. Now, what does that mean? Well, you see in the Bible where it talks about the body, soul, and spirit. Okay? Now, when you talk about that, a lot of times when people are talking about this trichotomy, they talk about the soul being the essence of the being, so everyone would have a soul, but not everyone would have the spirit. The spirit would be the thing that connects us to God. So even when we hear the the mention of this, and there are passages in the scripture where sometimes soul and spirit mean the same, but not always. Okay, and if you think that I'm going to answer this question for you today in the middle, in the midst of this sermon, in a couple of minutes, I can't. It's a mystery. But it says in the scripture that there is the word that cuts to make the division between soul and spirit. Now that means that there is an issue of, is there a sense where we can be dead in our sins and only alive within the spirit? And again, I can't answer that question for you. I can, though, talk about the issue of dualism. Because what was happening during this day, and I know this is maybe not what you came for, but dualism uh, during this time with Paul is where the people thought that the spirit was good and the body was bad. But there was a division. So if you sinned in the body, it's inconsequential. Because my spirit's good, And it's just the body who's doing the bad things. Now that seems awfully convenient. I mean, wouldn't you like to have a life like that? Well, yeah, I stole from the government, but that was the body that was doing it. My soul didn't want to do it, and I was fighting with myself. But ultimately, the body won out, and it doesn't matter anyways, because the body goes to hell and the spirit goes to heaven. So we're okay. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so the dichotomy, that's a no-no in this sense. Because there is the reality that, again, sin does have consequences. And the reality of what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians is he's saying, be blameless in your entirety. See, it's not just the outward actions that matter. Because, again, we can all modify our behavior. We can all clean up the outside. We can clean the outside of the cup. And we can stop doing things and we can stop cussing and we can stop going to the wrong places and looking up the right things or the wrong things or whatever we might be doing. We can cover all that up. We can change it temporarily. But the reality is, is that God tells us we have to be completely, entirely sanctified. And that happens when even our thought life begins to change. There's a transformation. Remember when Jesus is talking and he's preaching to the people and he says, if you've lusted after a woman, and he says, that's sin, 
But I'm telling you, if you've even had bad thoughts. So even your thought life is underneath the conviction of what it means to be blameless. And so again, we don't get to the perfection in this life, but here's the reality. You should always be in a battle. And anybody who tells me that they don't have a problem with sin or don't have um, a, a reality of where they're struggling against their inner sin, those are the people that scare me. Because in and of itself, that is a, a sin of pride. Again, we, we are always in, in that battle. And, and so again, it's, it is the flesh and the spirit fighting and battling all the time. And it's, it's being able to die to ourselves. And so as we die to ourselves, it changes both our thought life and our outward lives. Listen to what it says from 1 John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. So that's the reality of where we go back to. We, we live our Christian life in the midst of the Trinity. And as he says, we, we have to be changed and uh, we have to be changing our entirety. But he also tells us it needs to happen urgently. Because he says Jesus is coming back, which means that it has to be a complete blamelessness, which means, again, it's not perfection. But the reality is, is we should be living out our holiness now. That should be our desire. We should want to be complete. He is our refuge. He's the one who helps us. And even when we have our unbelief, remember the the, the prayer? God, help us in our unbelief. We're always running back to him. And as he comes and begins to change us, we do this because we know that the Lord is going to return soon. Now, what does soon mean? I don't know. Obviously, they would have thought in their lifetime, here we are 2,000 years later. But we also understand that according to Scripture, that's two days for God. So we don't know the actual day, but we should be prepared for it. There's an urgency. Our yearning should be, how do we live our lives in such a way that when God does come back, we will be found faithful. And it's his desire for us to do that. And so what it does, it means for us is we should be ready. So which we, we should watch the signs. What are the things that are going on in the world and are we paying attention? And as we pay attention to the signs, are we praying for the laborers to be sent into the harvest? And that's you, that's me. We're supposed to have that desire to go out and preach the gospel in all circumstances at all times. And as we have that yearning to pray for the laborers, then do we encourage one another? The Lord's coming back and he's coming back soon. And you don't want to be one of the five virgins that had your lamp go out. You want to be prepared. And so we we encourage one another. We, We build each other up. And the fourth thing we do is we travel light. What does that mean? This world is not your home. Quit worrying about all the stuff around us. Because you can't take it with you. And I can tell you, your kids and your grandkids don't want all your stuff. And it's going to go in a dumpster. Or it's going to go to someone else. Well, that's hurtful, Pastor. 
That's reality. You can't stuff it into your coffin. And we've seen how the pyramids, they tried it. It didn't work. So travel light because listen, where should our heart be? For where your treasure is, there your heart would be also. And our heart should be in heaven. Now again, we've talked about this. It doesn't mean that you quit work. It doesn't mean that you stop doing things. And it doesn't mean that you think that, that what you do doesn't matter. It does matter. Whether you're a plumber, an engineer, a pastor, a missionary, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's all to the glory of God. And it all matters. So do it with all your glory, but please make sure you're not doing it just to pay the bills. Because things rust, things break. And it becomes monotonous, doesn't it? The joys of owning a home. How much do we go and work to fix the things that are broken to have them break again? Why are we so worried? Put your treasure in your heart where it needs to be. So he tells us, hey, we're going to be... uh, blameless in our entirety we're going to be urgently calling one another to remind ourselves and then again he ends where he began god is faithful god's faithful he is faithful to complete it and how do we know that how do we know that god's going to be faithful the greatest example you have is that god gave his son he gave his son And as Christ came and then went to the cross, the one person who should have never gone pays for our sin to give us his righteousness. That is a down payment of the surety that God will be faithful to complete it. All the things that he has promised to us. So he's doing something in the midst of being faithful to complete us into the likeness of his son. And what that means is that we should be encouraged by more than any other people. And we should be bold. You, if you are a Christian, are called a son and daughter of the king. Not a king, the king. And so you get to be bold and walk into God's presence. And you, think about this, you get to speak to the king of kings and the lord of lords yourself. You don't have to be announced. You don't have to go through a spokesperson. You don't have to wait for him to come and reach out his hand to you. He's waiting with open arms and he says, come home. My sons and daughters. For I've prayed the price. And I've renewed our relationship so that you can be in my presence both now and forevermore. So he reaches out to us and he does this. And again, I'm begging you that this would become a prayer of your heart. I said, I'm updating my cards. And so, so I get to pray for you by name. And I'm crying out, God, please, please more than anything to your glory and to your honor. And so what are the prayers of your heart? Who are you praying for? And are you praying these things of yourself? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come within my life and change me in such a way 
that I die to myself and my sin. I have the desire to be satisfied in Christ alone so that I might go out and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ because I know you're coming back because you are faithful and true. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. But in the meantime, use us to build your church both now and listen forevermore forevermore oh what a glorious day that'll be amen Amen. let's pray heavenly father we do so want to be used by you father i pray that you truly are our one desire I know it's a struggle. It's a a struggle for all of us to get caught up in the pattern of the world and to think of ourselves more than you. And that battle will never go away, this side of heaven. But Father, I'm so grateful that you are a God who is faithful and you never change. You love us perfectly and you gave us the perfect sacrifice so that when you see us, you see Jesus. And so, Father, I do pray that you would change us to look more like our Savior. That that would truly be the desires of our heart and the desires of our life. And as you equip us and as you guide us and as you lead us, Lord, that we would be reminded constantly of the urgency of your return. That we'd be faithful to go and preach the gospel and live it out. And the desire to have so many of these people around us who have no clue that the thing they need most in life is you. Lord, use us to draw them to you so they might find mercy and grace. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray this because we know that Jesus, even now, sits at your right hand and prays these same things to you. So, Father, hear, listen, and answer that brings you the most glory and us the most good. And we'll rest in knowing of your perfect will found as you lead us to look more like a Savior. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.